Welcome to Sermons from San Diego, a podcast of preaching at Mission Hills United Church of Christ. I'm the Reverend Dr. David Barr, but please just call me David. I invite you now to listen and come along as we try to follow the teachings of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture to build a world that is open, inclusive, just, and compassionate. And now for this week's sermon. This is finally the end of our great sweep of history. Today's text has neatly summarized our readings since the beginning of the summer, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, through slavery and the exodus. People are now firmly established in the Promised Land, and it's nearly also already the end of Joshua's life. (coughs) Who was Joshua again? Well, we mentioned him only briefly before. Soon after leaving Egypt, Joshua led the wandering Israelites to victory when they were attacked by the Amalekites. It's a detail I wouldn't blame you for not remembering, but you might remember how Joshua led them to victory. Was it his brilliant strategy? Not really. When Moses held up his arms, the Israelites began winning the battle. And when he put them down, they began losing. So when Moses was too tired to hold them up anymore... Two men stood alongside him and held his hands up in the air, and that's how Joshua was victorious, and that is this same Joshua. Remember, post-Ten Commandments, Golden Calf debacle, 40 years later, Moses stood on top of a mountain and finally saw the land they had been traveling toward stretched out as far as he could see, and then he died right on that very spot. It was now up to Joshua and Caleb to lead the people into the land. Now, why these two men? Well, according to Scripture, they were the only two who never once doubted. All those complaints about water and food and the lack of watermelons and weren't there enough graves in Egypt that we could die there in comfort? Well, Joshua and Caleb were selected to lead the people into the promised land because they were the only two who didn't complain on the way and believed that one day they would indeed reach the promised land. They believed God would provide. Joshua and Caleb were also the only two people alive, still alive, who had once been slaves in Egypt. So let's be clear, that means along the way, every single other person that escaped Egypt died. Which, along with Moses not entering, seems quite unfair. But as I've said before, our call is faithfulness to the journey, not the destination. But first, wait a minute. All the people died along the way? How many would that be? You know, I've never really given this any thought because storytelling is a search for meaning, not a recitation of facts. So first, uh, how many people escaped from Egypt? As I tried to imagine, a group of people crammed up against the edge of the Reed Sea before it opened up so they could walk through on dry ground. Uh, So what seems reasonable? A few hundred? A thousand or two? Or... You know, as I imagine, how many people were camping at night under the stars? Or how many voices were demanding water and complaining they're hungry? Mm, 5,000? 
And then I think, how many quail descended at supper time every night? Are we talking about maybe more than 10,000 dead birds every night? Night after night for 40 years? Well, according to Exodus 12, 27, the number who escaped was 600,000 men, plus women and children. And the book of Numbers puts it like this. They report 603,551, excuse me, 550, which one scholar estimated at 2.5 to 3 million total men, women, and children. Hmm. Well, let's imagine using a conservative number. Let's imagine moving the entire population of San Diego, 1.4 million people, to Sacramento. But not up the freeway, but first by going to Las Vegas through the Salton Sea, then to San Francisco, back down to Yuma, over to Los Angeles, before finally getting to Sacramento. And enough water in Barstow for 1.4 million people and everywhere else in the desert. But here, along that zigzagged way, all but two of those 1.4 million San Diegans lay dead, bodies littered all along the way. Although they would have been buried. Well, that paints a different picture, doesn't it? But also, of course, in the meantime, tens of thousands of babies were born who grew up and had tens of thousands of more babies. But I have to say, I can't quite get past a million dead quail every night for 14,600 nights or the logistics of just leftover quail bones and the sewage. But okay, I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole. The logic of the story isn't as important as its lesson, although it does challenge. But back to today's story. Of, of all the people now who stood in front of Joshua, none of them had the personal experience of freedom from slavery, though they would have heard the stories of their parents and grandparents. They wouldn't have known how hard it is to maintain and sustain a covenant relationship with God through hunger and thirst and never having a place to rest that night that we can finally call home. So Joshua was concerned that they really didn't understand what was expected of them as the people of God now that things were easier. Talitha Arnold, the pastor of United Church in Santa Fe, said that if she were to be as blunt as Joshua when presenting parents the choice to baptize their child, she would get rid of the wimpy declaration from our book of worship. Do you promise to grow with this child in the Christian faith and offer them the nurture of the Christian church? Instead, I'd ask them in front of God and the whole congregation, do you promise to get them out of bed, dressed, and here every Sunday morning for the next 18 years, even when you've had a long night, or you'd rather sleep in, or there's a soccer match, or when this darling infant has grown into a surly, tattooed teenager who thinks church is dumb? Or how about a membership vow like this, and instead of theological niceties like fellowship and supporting one another on a shared discovery of spiritual gifts? How about 
Can you stick with this church when it doesn't feel as interesting anymore? And can you promise not to complain when a request for money to help fix the roof comes right after a special offering for hurricane relief during the pledge campaign for next year that comes just as someone asks you to help move tables for the upcoming rummage sale for which you are supposed to both provide items and buy someone else's discarded items? And can you commit to forgiving the minister for a few bad sermons in a row, or worse, an unkind word accidentally? Can you stick with people who sometimes get on your last nerve? And can you remain faithful through nearly two years of services on Zoom instead of in person? Hmm. Uh, that's a real one, isn't it? So imagine someone who wishes to join the church fully co considers the depth of their commitment and stands up for the membership ceremony and answers the question, yes, I can. And imagine the minister saying, no, you can't. You'll fail. And she walks away, and you're left standing in front of the congregation, unsure what to do other than sit back down. But you stand back up. Are you willing to stand back up and say, yes, I can? And now you are ready. Faith to, faithfulness to God when it's easy, or things are going easy, going in our way. When we like how things are going, but not so much when things keep getting harder and our losses keep piling up and God feels very distant. Faithfulness to God is not easy when things are not going our way. And so, the people are finally living firmly in this place that once was just a promise. These are much easier times. And that's why I'm curious about the urgency to Joshua's question. Once and for all, he urges, choose this day whom you will serve. Perhaps he could have said choose every day because no decision is ever done and over at the moment it's made. We grow and change and the people around us grow and change and they're sometimes into more difficult people. Of course, us too. But perhaps choosing this day is knowing that we must choose yet a thousand more times. But choose what? Events in the world that are both good and horrible can instantly change our trajectory. So make your lifetime choice this day to go deeper each day instead of going on to the next thing. When we say, this is too hard, or this is no fun anymore, make your lifetime choice to choose this day not to go somewhere else, but to go deeper into the communities to which we belong and into God's very self. The faith journey is not so much forward to something like a promised land or heaven. The faith journey is a call deeper within someone, deeper into our God, to deepen our love for neighbor without giving up self, and to deepen our love of self without becoming self-centered. 
But without going deeper, we risk the instability of shallow faith. And how will we handle it when things keep getting harder or our losses keep piling up and God feels very distant? Choosing to go deeper may be very difficult to embrace for people who are goal-oriented, success-driven, motivated by results. How do you measure? How do you win a trophy for depth of spirit and kindness and love? It, it may be difficult for those who think self-sufficiency means I can do this all by myself. It may be difficult for people always seeking an ever-elusive happiness that it seems like everyone else is enjoying. These are examples of gods we must give up. These are the gods that compete with our God. And so choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord, the God of Israel. And if we choose God, well, then what? For the last several months, I have been hearing God calling us to three things. A deeper faith, deeper relationships, and a greater impact. Deeper faith through means we have yet to fully explore, but one has been this very deep dive into this one story, the great sweep of history that we've been exploring throughout the summer and fall. And I hope that by diving deeper, we understand these stories better than we have before. And deeper relationships with others in the church, with our neighbors around the church and around our homes, with God, a deeper relationship with Jesus and the Spirit, and our all-generations events and Weekend at Pilgrim Pines are examples of this attempt to have deeper relationships. And third, I hear God calling us not to more things, but to the things we do with greater depth, which is how we have greater impact all of which is dependent on deeper faith and deeper relationships, because you don't seek greater impact first. It's too soon for me to ask, can you commit to a deeper faith? Or can you commit to pursuing deeper relationships? And can you commit to having a greater impact? It's too soon to ask, because you might too quickly answer, yes, I can. And I'd have to say, no, you can't. Not until we fully grasp what God is calling forth from us. But I'm excited to find out with you.